Testing one, two, three. One, two, three, four. <laughs> one, two, <laughs> Phyllis, you got the kettle on? Going down, you shut Alright, shut the fuck up then. Sorry about them, this is, you know, <laughs> my neighbors. Always something going on around here. So many answers we may never know. Too many questions get on with the show. No time for the chorus, only this bus. It's true, it's Open the podcast doors, Hal. It's Kubrick's universe. The Stanley Kubrick podcast. Anyway, uh, all right. We think we're live. mystery i have seen one or two things in my life but never anything like this you know there is no way on earth you're going to leave here tonight without taking me with you Welcome back to Kubrick's Universe. Thanks for tuning in once again. You just heard the new trailer that was recently created to promote the 20th anniversary re-release of Eyes Wide Shut by Park Circus. This new release is going to be screened in select cinemas in the UK and Ireland and also across Europe through December 2019. Our next guest, Matt Wells, is a filmmaker and in-house producer at Park Circus, where he makes documentaries about some of the many films represented by the company. His forthcoming film will be screened at these showings before Eyes Wide Shut as part of the 20th anniversary theatrical run. Here is the trailer for his latest short film, Never Just a Dream, Stanley Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut. And now here's the part where it says play trailer, as in that would be your cue for Mr. Stephen Rigg to hence play trailer. It was a Sunday morning, March 7th, 1999, and my mother phoned me and said, um, Daddy's dead. News Justin, we've just heard that the film director Stanley Kubrick has died at the age of 70. He just finished what was to be his last film, Eyes Wide Shut, which took five years to make. The difficulty with Eyes Wide Shut is that everybody in the audience is an expert on sexual fantasy and jealousy. He, didn't, he just wasn't quite sure how, how can he put this on the screen. It's the most difficult film he did in his life. No question about it. It took also forever to do it. It took a long time. He thought that it was his best film, and he was very, very proud of it. 
This is Matt's third short documentary on the work of Stanley Kubrick, after Work and Play, a short film about The Shining, and Stanley Kubrick Considers the Bomb about Dr. Strangelove, both of which screened in cinemas internationally as part of the re-release of those films, respectively, in 2017 and 2019. But in the meantime, it's my pleasure to welcome back once again, Matt Wells. How you doing, Matt? I am good, thank you. Great, great. Uh, so let's get right into it. I want to ask... Uh, how did your film short uh, end up coming about? Um, I, it's, I guess it's the third that I've done on Kubrick and his, and his work. Um, and it's one that, you know, when I was filming um, way back a few years ago now, uh, I filmed an interview with Catherine Kubrick, Kubrick's daughter, about... Um, the Shining for a short film about The Shining mm-hmm. and we got off topic and got to talking about Eyes Wide Shut and we were talking a little about a bit about her sort of experiences of the film which are obviously very um, very emotional for her um, and it was you know something that I thought from that point that I think it would be good to revisit because there's a you know there's a sort of part of the story there that if I'm right the biographies don't get to if I got that right they both uh, published before that film came out, so mm-hmm. neither of them covered that part of the story. But it felt like uh, you know, in a sort of important kind of closing chapter to Kubrick's Kubrick's life and work. Mm. So it was during a conversation with uh, Katharina that you had the idea for Never Just a Dream. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I mean, there's I'm fascinated by um, what's going on personally in filmmaking. You know, because there's there's the sort of there's the technical side and the creative side and all of that. But I'm very interested in 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 what the what the lives are like of the people who are involved in these things. And with with Eyes Wide Shut, that's that's particularly interesting, I think, because Kubrick had such a close knit group of such a close knit inner circle who he worked with on so many of his films. People who were sort of family members or had been with him for decades. Um, and with Eyes Wide Shut, within days of finishing showing finished edit to Warner's executives and Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And he passed away very suddenly of a heart attack, which, you know, can't have been easy, but isn't it, is, isn't it, is an interesting, is an interesting that, you know, that inner circle fans doesn't quite an unusual situation with the movie. Well, in a way, uh, of course we know that he's, uh, described it as his most personal film. And of course, Katharina uh, has mentioned that many times over that he felt it was his most personal film. So your examination of the personal aspects that went into the filmmaking uh, certainly bring to bear a, a unique perspective on Eyes Wide Shut as his final film. Yeah, it's well, it's an interesting one in, in his filmography this it's very it's a very intimate movie um in a way that his others aren't i don't think Tell i us. think is that true yeah, yeah i, I, I would say true. so it's not it's not a big philosophical idea or argument behind it it's sort of much more personal you know the domestic setting it's a, it's really about a couple you know it's 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 small by comparison to artificial intelligence or you know all these kind of big ideas that you get in so many of his other films mm-hmm. um so it's fascinating in 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 that sense it's it's interesting and i i'd be 
I wonder what what sort of filmmaking he would have gone on to do had he had he lived because you know it is it is different from his others in that in that sense um but it's also you know it's i think also when people talk about being it being his most personal film it's something that he had wanted to make since the 50s you know there's a bit of debate as to when he first came across the source material trauma novella the schnitzler novella mm-hmm. that it's based on but you know it, we know it was way back um and talking to you know people like tony fruin who worked with him on the sort of literary side of his work it was always a question of how do you how do you make it you know i'm not it's not you know trying to kind of figure it out for decades before he finally makes it which is also you know when people wrestle with something for that long you've got to wonder what what holds the fascination for them yeah, and well, do you venture a guess? Would you venture a guess as to what you think Kubrick's personal fascination was with the subject, or with the source material? Um. Well, I'll just I'll I'll you know what people have said to me is, um, you know, on the one hand, it's just something very human and very relatable about about jealousy and fantasy, mm-hmm. which is just you know is a part of life and interested him as I understand it in that sense um, in terms of why it took so long you know I, had he made had he figured it out and made it in you know the 60s say would he have come back to the theme later on I wonder I don't know but I as I understand it there was on the one hand there was a sort of you know a problem of how do you how do you how do you make it work on screen how do you make it work as a movie you know, updating it, setting it in New York, all these sort of decisions that were made in the writing of the thing. Um, but then I think, you know, speaking to Catherine in particular, she, she talks about the him and Christiana, his wife, feeling that they, he and they weren't ready at that, that stage to tackle that kind of subject matter, mm. which is interesting as well, isn't it? You know, it's sort of that... that um, um, self-awareness to say that this is more difficult than I'm capable of getting to grips with at this stage. I need, you know, there was a sense talking to Katarina that it, it, he needed, you know, more years under his belt mm. in order to get it right. It it, it is an interesting uh, take on the material itself that it would require uh, uh, the the eye of a more seasoned husband. Uh, hmm. you know, a man more comfortable in his years uh, than if he were to have made it back when he and Christiana were a young couple, you know, full of love and uh, the world before them, etc. Because it does seem the couples, I'm just basing this on experiences I know of in real life, that the couples that go the distance, shall we say, they're, they're through those um, difficult struggles that do occur in the earlier stages of marriage themes of of jealousy and um resentment wanderlust uh things of that nature and if they're able to get through that and come out the other side uh there's a partnership that emerges which is a lot more uh akin to what people describe as you know a kind of a fairy tale love story 
which is what uh, we all seem to want. Yeah, it's a sort of a, quite an unromantic yes. love story in the sense that we usually hear romance in, in stories, isn't it? But it's, I think it's far more, far more accurate and far more true and actually much more romantic, really. Exactly, um, than yeah. The sort of, than the sort of picture book version that you get. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's what makes um, Eyes Wide Shut such a, a personal film. It is... Uh, it has been difficult for me to watch it compared to other uh, Kubrick films uh, over the years. But as I've told Stephen and, you know, my other friends who are, uh, you know, Kubrick files, it's just uh, more of a testament to how I revere him as a filmmaker that he could make uh, a film that makes me uncomfortable, yet which I'm drawn mm-hmm. to again and again. Um that's something I can't say about another director I may have admired for different or other reasons. There is something about Eyes Wide Shut that is, you know, unsettling, and I have to trust that Stanley meant that deliberately. And it's sewn into the fabric of the, the, the story itself, so that when you sit down, you are forced to participate with it. And in that regard, it's a very engaging film, and not all films are engaging good bad or otherwise yeah. yeah it's you know and it's it's um yeah it's a big it, it's a challenging watch in its way you know it's kind of got this kind of dream logic to it that mm. you know it it looks like a naturalistic movie but but it doesn't quite play as naturalism you know you're in in naturalistic settings with people who could be real, but there doesn't seem to be much attempt to kind of give them a, you know, make them feel like people on the screen. Mm. You know, I don't think we're going for kind of suggesting an, uh, a sort of, you know, backstory, interior life, all that kind of thing. There's a quote from, I can't remember where, I, who said this now, somebody was quoting him, um, as saying, real is good, interesting is better. Yes. It was Tony Fruin, actually. It was Tony Fruin. Real mm. is good, interesting is better, which is an unusual thing to say in the context of the, you know, what is ostensibly a naturalistic film. Mm. You know, it's, it's a couple going about their going about their lives and figuring out their relationship. That's usually that's that you pay for realism, but that's not what he's doing, and it's that's can be challenging about it, but is brings me back to it again in that it, you know why and, and I, I still don't know like what, what that's doing but I find it um, engaging weirdly it, engaging indeed no I, th- I think that's very well said a couple follow-up questions would you uh, or do you have rather um, any one particular memory that shone out to you something that really stood out from uh, your interviews with either Katharina or Jan or Tony, anyone well, else? Well, you know, in the context of Eyes Wide Shut, it was, it was, um, almost everybody that we interviewed teared up at some point in the interview. Mm. You know, we didn't always include that. That wasn't always the right moment to include in the, in the final film. So you won't, you won't see a lot of that in the, in the edit, but it was, um, you know, it was striking that, Again, to quote Tony, 
working for Kubrick was a was a way of life. Mm. You know, it's very much it's it, it's not a day job to to these guys, and it was a real striking sense of that from everybody who we talked to. You know, and I only talked to people who, um, actually, that's not strictly true. I'm I particularly with Eyes Wide Shut, we were talking to people who who lasted with him, spent a long time working with him, and you you do sense there is this um this kind of loyalty that keeps people going, working with him for over years and over decades. And mm. uh, I was quite struck by that. I was mm. struck by that. It, 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 it was not a day job, not a day job to these guys. That's fascinating. What about uh, the University of London archives? Was there any uh, document or any little thing uh, that <laughs> popped out? I mean, it's this humbling experience where you're holding his annotated shooting script, like mm. you know, Clockwork Orange or something, and you just, it, it really is humbling. But mm. I'm, I was most struck by, I think, the, of the films I've done, the most archival in terms of Kubrick's stuff was um, The Shining one. And I was, you know, delighted when we was researching in the archives on that to find um, a script draft. Um, that he'd sent back to Diane Johnson where she had written murder backwards but with the left facing mm. forwards. And he'd written in the margin, he'd draw an arrow and he'd said, wouldn't it be more like this? And he writes, red rum oh, wow. as it's reflected in the... So you just see, you know, you see that iconic moment and you're able to then, you know, in the edit you're able to then cut from from idea scribbled in the margin of a page mm -hmm. to, you know, one of the most famous shots in, in cinema. Mm. Or, you know, there's sequences where we could go from, we could go from looking at, um, you know, a memo that's been scribbled to um, a sketch for a set to uh, an image of the set being built to a shot of, from the film. And you, you know, you, you can, follow the idea through the production process or the pre-production process, um, which is a satisfying, satisfying end-to-end -end journey to go on. It's very cool. Yeah, I'm painting a picture in my imagination as you spell that out. It's really cool. Just being able to uh, have that tactile experience with uh, the development process. And I imagine it, it would be humbling. Um, for any fan of Kubrick's, but uh, here you are, and you've gotten to work uh, closely with uh, the archives and, and again his family on three separate projects. Now I wonder, since um, you have uh, had the chance to uh, speak with Katharina and Jan and Tony Fruin, as uh, you mentioned, was there anyone uh, that you would have liked to have talked to for this project, but unfortunately weren't able to get? Well, I, I would have loved to talk to, um, you know, a, a everyone involved um, in Eyes Wide Shut, but, you know, really I wasn't, you know, for an eight-minute film, it's not possible, but I loved the um, Nathan Abrams and Robert Coker book uh, about Eyes Wide Shut, which is well worth a read. I thought it was cracking, a cracking book on it. Um, you know, there's a load of people talked to in there informing that book that, that yeah, I wasn't able to speak to. The one person I would have loved to talk to film on camera um, was Leon Vitali, who we spoke to, spoke to him on the phone a couple of times on, on FaceTime and stuff. And it just never, never managed to make the, the diaries work to get him to get him on camera and in the film. Mm. Um, 
which was it was a real shame because he you know he was very supportive of what we were doing i would have been i would have loved to um include him in it mm. you know he was such a vital part of 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 the Kubrick operation and of that film in particular um it it, it it was a shame not to be able to have him involved indeed yeah and his his story of uh uh where he was when he got the phone call um mm was when we spoke with him it was it was a, a gut punch it's just very touching and mm. heartfelt um poignant but uh you can still hear the sense of loss in leon's voice all these years later the, the last conversation i had was i was parked in a supermarket car park on a saturday afternoon trying to cram in my you know my shopping which was you know the same every week i'd I'd go, you know, when I had a, like an hour, I'd go and do my shopping for the week, you know, and uh, and then what I would do is go home, take everything out of the fridge that I bought the week before and put everything I just bought, which was the same as what was in the fridge. And, you know, but I, I ended up never touching it because I was never home. <laughs> 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 but anyway, I was, I, I'd actually got this a couple of hours on the Saturday afternoon and I just parked in this car park in, in the supermarket and my phone went and uh for two hours i was standing on the sideboard of, of my car and just talking to him and we, because he wanted me um to do this you know the the actual script you know version of what was shot you know of eyes wide shut right. you know you know so you know i would have put in you know you know, pen left and this and that and seen this and whatever it is and we stop outside a red door all those kind of descriptions that a, a script has in it you know when you read it final copy or whatever it is you know? right, right. and we talked about all that we talked we talked a lot about you know um how the yeah how the film was shaping up and and you know he was feeling very very happy about it and what have you mm. and i was going to go in the next sunday morning that's why he was talking to me because i was going to go in the next sunday morning and actually start that work you know translating this, you know the script into into a book you know a script and um and like i said you know we were on the phone for a, for a couple of hours and then just as I was going to go in uh, the next uh, Sunday, the, the day after, and that's when I, I got a phone call to say that, uh, you know, something had happened and, uh, you know, and I should, you know, uh, maybe delay and wait a little while before I came, which I, I put the phone down, immediately ordered a cab <laughs> and went up there. And when I saw, you know, I saw the ambulance out there in front of the house and some police, you know, two, three police cars. I think. Uh, and, and then I, I kind of, I just understood exactly what had happened, you know? And, um, do you remember and, the last thing you said to him and vice versa? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was when, uh, you know, I, we decided I would, would go, I would go in at uh, two o'clock on Sunday afternoon and it was just, uh, it was just like, okay, I'll, I'll see you then. You can sit down and just sort of go through it a, a little more and, and we can get you on your way. And, you know, and I said, okay. But the thing was, you know, you never, you of course, know, there was no yet. such, there, right. there was no such thing as a last call from Stanley Kubrick right, right. because he could talk to you and 30 seconds later, he'd be ringing you again. <laughs> well, I forgot to ask you. That <laughs> 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 was absolutely true. I can't tell um, um, God bless So, him. you know, that, that's how it is. That's how it all that kind of evolved and was. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And by law, you see, this is the other thing. By law, which seems a weird thing to me, but it was by law, they had to release it uh, officially as a as a press release, you know, to Reuters by four o'clock in the afternoon on oh, Sunday boy. afternoon, which meant I had to sort of scramble and find out where Tom was and where Nicole was, so I could get in touch with them before they heard the news in another way. You know? Oh boy. And I found Tom in Australia and Nicole in New York. And I, I would have thought it'd been the other way around, wouldn't you? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> Their native territories. Oh yeah, my yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know. And then I, I can That's honestly just... say I was I was on auto I was on auto mode from then until October when I kicked out the last print from the lab, you know, for, for Turkey, which was the last release date uh, we had for the film. Uh, and, you know, it never really hit me until then, you know, that's yeah. when it hit me. And that's, yeah. that's when I, first time in my life, I went on an antidepressant <laughs> because yeah. I was, because I was depressed, not because I thought it was fun. <laughs> so can you tell us about the re-release of Eyes Wide Shut? and your accompanying short, and specifically, where are they going to be screened? Sure, so um, from 29th of November, um, the two will be playing in, you know, UK UK cinemas, so BFI are doing it, a number of other sort of, you know, more art house repertory type cinemas will be screening it, and then the similar sort of thing happening in a handful of international territories as well. International territories, I, I hope you mean uh, the United States. Are we going to get it over here? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I'm going to make it happen. That, I'm going to try and make it happen. That would be great. There's, there's, yeah, there's not a plan to at the moment, but I think it would be a huge shame not to. I think you could certainly uh, at least bring it to New York and Los Angeles. Um, yeah. For uh, a happy return. I think that would be... I, I'm... Suffice it to say, I think it would go over well in the big cities. Um, mm. I was at the premiere of Filmworker, and, uh, you know, places like New York, where I'm nearby, and I have friends near L.A., uh, these, these, you know, uh, these are areas that have a large number of people who are still and always will be fascinated in Kubrickiana and, uh, you know, his, his work, uh, showings of his film. Uh, heck, I was just at a uh, uh, a screening of The Shining in 4K last week, and it was at mm. like a generic chain, uh, you know, movie theater, an AMC movie theater, and uh, the attendance was, you know, pretty high for just a. Gosh, was it a Wednesday night? I think I saw it. It's good. That's what we like to hear. Well, I mean, he does hold that rarefied air where there's, you know, an never-ending interest in, in in at least on the part of the you know his films at least on behalf of the the general movie going public you know because I, I remember sitting watching the shining and the lights came up afterwards there were a lot of younger people there and i'm thinking gosh some of these people have not you know they were never alive when stanley kubrick was or they were in childhood and here they are you know fascinated enough by him uh, that they're willing to participate 
you know, with seeing The Shining on a big screen. And again, I say that's because it's another film that really requires your participation. Uh, and I mean mm. that in the best way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I mean, I was, you know, I was nine when Eyes Wide Shut came out. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you're kind of familiar with it culturally before you're familiar with the movie itself, and then you come to it afterwards, but sort of through a lens of pop culture references, you know. Mm. That was very much my experience of all of his all of his movies. Yeah, I um, I may have told this story on the show before, but I I did see it in the theater. I was uh, set to graduate college uh, that year, and. Um, I, I remember I was living in Boston, and uh, I remember my uh, my roommate, Chris DeCellis, at the time, he, was, he said, uh, I, I woke up and came down for breakfast, he said, uh, did, you, did you hear, man? I said, what do you, he said, uh, Kubrick died. And I was just like, you know, I, I, I saw it in a newspaper box as I made my way over to university for the day. And it just didn't seem real. And fast forward to, you know, I knew Eyes Wide Shut was coming out. And then to have that news uh, blindside you. So I sat in the theater feeling uh, a dismay that, you know, this this is it. This is the last time you're going to get to see a new Stanley Kubrick film. And um, again, I had very mixed feelings about it coming away from it, but... It was bittersweet isn't even the right word. There was a a bit of a call over my perception of it because I just couldn't see clearly. Uh, I I was my perspective was tainted, for lack of a better word, by the fact that I had mm. to appreciate it. You know, this was it. Well, it had come out, and there was an awful lot of um, hype and speculation about the film, and then coming out after the news of his death, I think looking back at it now you can see critics and you know letters written by audience members it was difficult for people to just simply take it on its own terms i think it was a film that was kind of colored by the events people's perceptions of it were colored by the events surrounding its release so it's quite an interesting one to be re revisiting it 20 years on and looking at it again i think it's quite i don't know as you say it was divisive at the time it's quite interesting to see how people take to it now mm. Particularly as the conversation, you know, it's a film, uh, in large part, it's a film about, you know, masculinity, really. And mm -hmm. the cultural conversation around that has changed a lot in 20 years, you know, and sort of looking at it in light of, looking at it in light of Me Too, which is, mm -hmm. you know, very much a story about masculinity and its toxicity. It's quite an interesting, interesting movie to be thinking about in those times. Well, there's... Not a in terms, yeah. There's that one scene where, okay, absolutely I do, I think that's a really interesting line of thought, um, given the context of uh, what's happening in today's culture. Um, and it immediately brought to mind the scene where Tom Cruise is walking and the, the kids on the street, the, those, those frat house mm. guys, hassle him and call him faggot. And he's emasculated in that scene and his, the rest of his journey involves him being more of a, a, a dominating figure in that dynamic, whereas in that moment, he's dominated. She had her dick closed in her mouth. 
she was doing a Mexican lap dance right in my face. Serious, I got scars on the back of my neck. Hey, 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 what team's this switch hitter playing for? Looks like the pink team, this huh? This faggot. You want to faggot? Merry Christmas, Mary. Hey, my brothers are back there. It's prime cut of meat, baby. You want to take a ride in this bike? Tell me a different faggot. It's like we've got a moon buds are going Man, on here, huh? It's standing so close. Get out of here. I got dumps that are bigger than you. Come oh, on, Macho Man. Yeah, it's 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 a weird moment in the in the movie. It's always stood out because, you know, Tom Cruise, the actor, has always represented a, a certain type of machismo on screen, whether he's, uh, you know, everything from Taps and Top Gun, his early films, all the way to the Mission Impossible movies of late. You know, he's. Uh, and and yeah. es- and especially in Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, he's really playing a, a an uh, overbearing, yeah, in that, yeah in that movie. overbearing uh, alpha male, um, you know, who's uh, who's who's driven by a a psychosexual bent, and to see Tom Cruise in that scene in Eyes Wide Shut, where he is emasculated, is rather jarring. To put it one way. Well, I guess it's like, you know, he starts out the movie as um, the man of his house. And mm. then you, you, you sort of reveal quite, it's revealed quite quickly how sort of, how quickly that, how fragile that masculinity is and how quickly it crumbles and how hard he finds it to deal with the fact that it is crumbling. Mm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot. You know, the fact that his wife has a sort of interior sex life that he doesn't have access to. Mm. It shouldn't be a revelation to anyone, but mm. somehow that sends him spinning out for the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Now you know, and as with everything else, um, as pertains to Eyes Wide Shut and you know Kubrick's films in general, there's always the subject of context. And I just want to read uh, for our listeners uh, something you said in an interview with Park Circus. Uh, and have you follow up on it, you said, uh, I think the context can be fascinating. A movie doesn't exist in a vacuum. I'm very interested in stories of people. Movies are really difficult to make, and so often the stories that you get around them are fascinating, and the characters who find themselves drawn to make films are really interesting people to tell their stories about. I think that's a really interesting quote. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Kubrick's the perfect example, really, because he's someone who occupied a completely unique position in in filmmaking and, in, you know, culturally more in, more generally. Um, you know, you don't get many big-budget film directors with such an idiosyncratic sort of vision, you know, mm. which is... Which is striking, you know, why Why not? I mean, I guess it's extremely difficult to get to a position like that. I know I'm sure there are more people who would like to be there than ever get there. Um, so what is it about him? You know, how did he do it? Why did he do it? Mm. That sort of stuff. Which is, you know, one of the reasons that the, the Kubrick archive is so great and, and books like the recent one on Eyes Wide Shutter are so, so interesting because you, you, with Kubrick's... Uh, you can do the archaeology, you know, the stuff is there, it still exists, you can kind of dig into it and you can see his 
his uh, his process and what he was driving at in his in his interactions with the people that he was working at. You know, you can see, working with you can see what he was trying to what he was trying to achieve. Hmm. And uh, you know, it again, it, it took him a long time to achieve what he wanted to, but in the end, he felt it was his most personal film, and we have to trust that means he was satisfied with it. And we touched on this just a, a bit before, but I wonder why you think uh, it took Kubrick 30 or even 40 years to put together this work that satisfied him. It's, it's, a, it's For me, it's the question about the film. You know, it's, it's such a particular... He takes such a, a particular approach to the subject matter. Um, you know, the shoot was famously very, very long. Uh, he said, he didn't only say that it was his most personal film. He also said he thought it was his best film. Mm -hmm. So as I understand it, you've got, you know, one of the greatest filmmakers, the greatest American filmmakers that there's been achieving decades worth of work with the means to reshoot as much as he needs to. It seems like, you know, that 18 month shoot, you can get a lot done in 18 months, mm -hmm. get a lot redone in 18 months. Um, so I think you have to say he thought it was, you know, exactly what he wanted it to be. So why is it so unusual? Mm. You know, mm. Sometimes you can sort of, so much happens in filmmaking that you, you can kind of say, well, you know, um, sometimes what you see on screen is a result of time pressures or it's a result of corners that have been cut or a moment of improvisation or a moment of inspiration or something like that. And with Kubrick, it's a lot more methodical that, than that. And at this point in his career, he's got the means to, to go slowly and to be precise, to be exacting. Mm. And he absolutely had the inclination to be exacting um so when he does something that is so such an unusual film hmm. you gotta wonder it's interesting why why does it look like that you know because mm -hmm. you, you can't you can't dismiss it as being a, a you know a, coming from the circumstances of production i think it's 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 coming out of his head really right Right. Yeah. So, you know, it has to be said at the time of the film's release in 1999, and even now, 20 years later, the film has, you know, been and remains divisive uh, for general audiences and among Kubrick fans. Um, do you have thoughts uh, after your examination of what elements in particular might make this the case? Yeah, I, you know, I think, um, I mean, everyone's got their own take on any given film. But, you know, I was struck by that quote from Tony that I repeated to you earlier, that Kubrick's saying real is good, interesting is better. Mm. And I think when you're, when you're sort of pursuing your idea, of, when somebody's pursuing their idea of what's interesting, you'll take some people along with you. But people who kind of fall by the wayside, you're not they're gonna you're not giving them much to hang on to mm. you know mm -hmm. i think had had he had he 
had he played the thing for sort of realism, I think you'd have had a much more conventional film. Mm -hmm. um, probably fewer people adoring it, but fewer people really hating it as mm -hmm. well. Mm. That's interesting, the way you put that. Fewer people adoring it, but fewer people hating it. You feel that would be I, the case 20 I, years on? I don't know. I'm, I'm so interested to see what happens around the re-release. Mm. You know, because other Kubrick movies... Um, you know, I, I live in London. There's a number of good repertory cinemas here, and a lot of Kubrick movies get played. You know, it's not that hard to see them on the big screen mm. um, and and have another proper look at them. And mm. there's been, you know, there's been re-releases of of so many of the films. This one isn't as old, so I don't think it's had the time to kind of settle into the mm. into the public consciousness in the same way as his other films have. You know, they're all divisive at first, yeah, and then over time, almost all of them become acknowledged as masterpieces. So. With Eyes Wide Shut, you haven't had that that time for that consensus to form. If it if it will form, mm -hmm. you know, some people are convinced that it will. Some people are less sure. But I think something like a re-release like this will be an interesting moment. Um, certainly, some of the thing, some of the critics writing about it in very favourable terms these days are, are um, quite often younger writers mm. loving it, which is interesting. Mm. People who wouldn't have been there for it. Um, the first time around right right. but i think it's you know it's a film that hasn't been revisited as much um yeah it'll be it'll be interesting well time I certainly predict, i can never predict when i talk to people about eyes wide shut i can never predict who's gonna say i, I love it and who's gonna say i hate it mm. you know often some films yeah. there are kind of you know there are generational splits or there are gender splits or you know kind of cultural fairly clear cultural splits with, with eyes wide shut i just I just, I can't find a pattern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems to be a complete mix of people having strong feelings in one direction or the other. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because even amongst my friends, I've had that conversation and it's funny. I never thought about it like that till you just said it now. But I have had, you know, a constant surprise from which friends said they didn't like it or which friends said that they, they loved it. Mm. Um, and it's one of those movies, you know, that they'll watch again and again. Is I have had those conversations and I'm always fascinated by which of my friends or acquaintances, even people who say, uh, oh, I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies of his. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the keys to it is the, um, the title of the novella that it was based on, mm. which translates to dream story. And mm -hmm. I think if you kind of, if you, if you put it in that context, you know, the, the version of New York that it shows you, it doesn't really look like New York, but I don't think it was really supposed to. Right, right. It looks like, it looks like something, and, you know, a lot of the way they, the, some of the characters are speaking doesn't always feel like the way that people talk, but it, again, I don't think it was supposed to. I think it's got its own logic going on, its own thing going on, and I think, you know, the, the trick to kind of, the trick is to go with it, and see where it takes you rather than finding, yeah yeah, yeah. Find, finding finding fault with that i can understand i can understand why you know i can understand why people love it and i can understand why people hate it i've got quite at this point i've got kind of a weirdly detached view from the thing i look at it almost scientifically but um mm. yeah I, I think that tends i think that tends to be the difference when people love it they're kind of going with it and finding it sort of to be a, a complete whole um, 
you know, crafted object. Mm. And those who don't like it find it to be sort of un- oddly unbelievable and and not quite not quite clicking for them. Right, right. Um, I, I suspect that's got something to do with it. Well, I think um, people that I can't speak for, uh, I shouldn't try to speak for other people who have difficulty with it. Uh, I will share with you that the, the the difficulty I have with it on a personal note comes from what you brought up earlier about jealousy. And I remember one of my first uh, reactions to the film was uh, this 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 looming question uh, that you're forced to ask yourself, or I was anyway, which is, you know, is anyone capable of really fully trusting another person implicitly and without question, without fail? Will jealousy at some point get in the way of what should otherwise be a working, uh, loving relationship? Uh, and that's a really hard question. I mean, again, on a personal note, um, my parents divorced when I was a young kid, but I think a lot of children of divorce can say that, uh, those are, those are questions that are always there and they're difficult. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, it was, it, it was, you know, it, it, if Stanley felt it was his best film and I mistakenly referred to it as his most personal, it's because I think I was seeing it as the one that, uh, has the most, personal uh affect on me in a sense because I, I still uh for better or worse am forced to view it through that prism that, that you know all, all kubrick movies leave you with a question but that's a particularly hard question are, are we able to trust one another where where should we know to draw a line between uh what makes trust and what makes love and are the two capable of intertwining in one relationship and can that work forever it's hard it's hard and the you know it's hard and it it matters you know which i think is why it is yeah i think that's why it's so personal um what the ending of the film is is so perfect i think in that sense Mm -hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't offer you a sort of a full certainty or a kind of, you know, a, a something, um, you know, a kind of reassuring platitude about how true love conquers all or whatever. It sort of lets things be ambiguous and difficult. And yet it resolves this question in the most satisfying, you know, a conclusive lack of conclusion. Hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, yeah, it, it's a, it's a great ending, I think. It definitely is. And I think it's a testament to his sense of humor that the last word of dialogue in a Stanley Kubrick film is, of course, fuck. <laughs> mm. You know, <laughs> there's something, and not to be cheeky, but there's something irreverent about that and sardonic, I think, that's uniquely Kubrick. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and something, yeah, something also something sort of profoundly Kubrick about it in that it yes. it, it yes. doesn't let you it, it doesn't let you it doesn't give you an easy answer it kind of resists giving you an easy answer right right you know and the key you know it's sort of <laughs> can you can you accept the uncertainty of it you know can you can you just deal with the fact that there isn't a straight answer to this and you yeah. need to get on with your life yeah 
you know, you need to be able to accept it. Um, very Kubrick. Right, well, can I just have spam, 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 baked beans and spam without the spam? No! Well, why not? Because then it would just be spam, 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 and spam! Hey, other people have their warm up exercises. I got mine. Okay, everyone, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Kubrick's Universe. And, of course, thanks to Matt Wells for talking with us about his latest film, Never Just a Dream, Stanley Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut. And also to Park Circus and, of course, Warner Brothers, who provided us with the two trailers that we played. Ah, oh, man, this fucking water pipe just kicked in again. Assholes. You're not even brewing coffee. It's two o'clock in the morning. There's, there's nobody in the coffee shop. They've just got machinery going. All right, there it goes. If you want to catch Eyes Wide Shut up there on the silver screen the way it was originally seen, then be sure to check out the screening dates at parkcircus.com. And hey, if you can't make it to one of these screenings of Eyes Wide Shut in the cinema, then please just, you know, watch it at home, since it has certainly grown to also be considered another movie set at Christmas, which makes for some great holiday viewing. Kind of like Die Hard. Except it has masked orgies and no guns. Okay, maybe it's not at all like Die Hard, but you can certainly watch both movies back-to-back while wrapping presents, can't you? I mean, whatever keeps the spirit of holiday movies without a Santa in them alive. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, you know, Nakatomi Plaza, December 24th, 1988. You know, n- never forget. Never forget. And be sure to keep your antennas pointed our way for our end-of-year roundup. It's going to be touching down later in December. If you would like to be part of the show... If you have something you feel is interesting to say about Stanley Kubrick and or his films, then why not record your thoughts as a short audio piece and send them to us for inclusion in an upcoming show? You can easily record it on any smartphone nowadays and then just email it to stephenrig.scas at gmail.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-R-I-G-G dot S-K-A-S at gmail. stephenrig.scas at gmail. It really can be anything like, I like Stanley Kubrick because, or I once worked for Kubrick, or it's a crazy story, but I almost met him once, or even I went to school with Stanley's dog, or I'll never forget the time Kubrick ran over my foot with his Mercedes. Hell, I I don't know. Either a story from your own memory, or even just think of something you want to say about our favorite filmmaker and send it our way. We'll put you on the show. Also, be sure to check out the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Facebook. The Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society has been connecting fans, academics, colleagues, cohorts, and comrades for over eight years, all in the honest effort to help bring Kubrick and his art to an ever-expanding audience of fans, old and young. Go check it out. And now I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of legendary lounge singer and late-night FM DJ, Stick Blightengale. Over to you, Stick. Hey, okay, we're going to leave you now with Ella Estan Kubrick. It's a catchy little number from the father of Argentinian rock, Carlos Alberto Charlie Garcia. Gracias a todos por escuchar. Nos vemos la próxima vez en el universo de Kubrick.
Ciao for now. Take it away, Carlitos. These guys aren't scientists. They're making it up as they go along. Okay, we're asking everyone who enjoys our shows to please give it a rating and or a review. We make this show and bring it to you out of nothing but love for Stanley Kubrick and his unfailingly passionate fans. We do it on our own time and we do it on our own dime. So pretty please. Be passionate enough to just take a moment and share your rating or review of Kubrick's universe. We care very much about bringing this show to you, doing it right, and doing justice to the legacy of our favorite filmmaker in this brave new digital world. And your support means we can keep going, keep new content, interviews, and episodes coming. It really does matter. It was real nice talking to you. Bye. Over and out.
It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. Signing off. Uh, let's try and connect on uh, Turkey Day. All right. Much love. I'm out. Bye.